Welcome to the Energy Markets Podcast, curated conversations with policy experts and thought leaders on how to chart the best path toward a 21st century clean energy economy. I'm your host, Brian Lee. My energy and environmental policy expertise stems from more than three decades of experience as a journalist, federal government official, and utility executive. Our sound engineer is Martin Pell. Welcome to the inaugural Energy Markets Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lee, and my guest today is Rob Gramlich of Grid Strategies. Welcome, Rob. Thanks for uh, participating. Great to be here, Brian. Yeah, so we're, we're at the inaugural podcast recording a day after the inauguration. And as we discuss a little preliminarily before this, it seems to me that the markets are at an inflection point. And uh, with a new administration in particular, we're going to see a lot of, a lot of change, perhaps, perhaps rapidly, perhaps not. It was interesting to me to hear how much climate change was discussed during the festivities yesterday. Seems to me that uh, climate change will be a lodestar for uh, energy market policy in the administration to come. Do you agree with that, Rob? Yeah, it's clear climate change is a top priority. Every indication from every statement from Biden and Harris, as well as their appointees and the caliber of their appointees we're just seeing now uh, indicates climate change will be a a top priority and they're going to do everything in their power. Speaking of appointees, we've got news this morning in terms of the FERC chair. Yes, Rich Glick will be the chair. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, You and I both know Rich uh, for a long time. But given uh, we're going to have a climate change driving policy, um, we're going to see a lot of blowback on that, aren't we? Well, I I don't know. It's really interesting to see the the statements and actions from different groups like API coming out today saying they support uh, regulation of uh, methane emissions. Um, you know, and uh, it'll be interesting to watch the Chamber of Commerce and EEI and other sort of mainstream groups who, you know, they want stability, right? And they want uh, policies that are rational and, and workable, and they can see the writing on the wall. So, you know, what do they go along with? What do they what do they agree to? I think it's too early to say now what that will be, but I think um, actions by those groups, if they're constructively engaged, could could uh, really influence what uh, what Congress comes up with. Well, I guess I'm thinking uh, a, a little more uh, grassroots level in terms of the the significant portion of the electorate that believes the election was stolen and believes that climate change is a socialist plot, and and that's going to drive a lot of opposition on the Hill. Uh, it it could with uh, with some, you know. I think um, if anybody can get bipartisan cooperation in the Senate, and the Senate is where it needs to happen, uh, I, I think it's Joe Biden. Um, whether he's able to do that against those forces and everybody looking at different media than everybody else uh, is, you know, remains to be seen. What do you think is going to be a top priority for Rich Glick as chair? Well, I've heard him speak. I'm sure most uh, FERC watchers have heard uh, Chairman Glick, uh, it's the first time I think I've said that, uh, uh, speak about uh, robust infrastructure with remote renewable energy in, in mind and, uh, you know, reliability and resilience in a, in a system that uh, relies on increasing share 
from uh, remote and variable renewable resources. I've heard him talking about grid enhancing technologies to deliver more over existing lines. Uh, and uh, uh, I think we've all heard him talk a lot about uh, fair and open market rules um, that uh, in particular things like, uh, you know, we can talk about uh, state policy, but market rules that uh, do not penalize or counteract state clean energy policies, but in fact, uh, enable and, and support them. Um, I think vigilant oversight has always been a, a, a mission of, of his. That's not an area I personally focus on as much, but um, um, I, I think he will um, be active in that area as well. Yeah, well, uh, most of what you said initially uh, were were music to your ears as the uh, president of Grid Strategies. T- tell us about your consulting uh, and uh, where you think that's going to align with uh, FERC policy going forward. Sure. Our theory uh, of kind of the world is that uh, you know climate change is the most significant issue facing humanity. Uh, that um, known commercially available technologies, including wind and solar, are the among the cheapest ways to reduce uh, the emissions that cause climate change, and that the grid is the key to advancing those uh, known resources. Um, and that relates to both power markets and uh, transmission operations and, and infrastructure. So I've been working on that for my entire career, starting actually in college um, uh, with my uh, senior thesis uh, through years at FERC and PJM and uh, the, the Wind Association. And my uh, uh, partner, Michael Goggin, has also been working on that pretty much his whole career. Um, and uh, we have now Jay Casperi, uh, who was a transmission planner with SPP, with whom Michael and I worked for many years on uh, all of these issues. Uh, and so, you know, that's what we're focused on. And, and yes, those uh, those priorities that Chairman Glick has, has spoken about before are all areas that we, uh, we we work hard on. Yeah, I remember we had a discussion years ago. The traditional generators in the markets are are feeling quite the pinch financially. Uh, that's probably an understatement. And they continue to say that we can't, you know, we can't do it all with wind or solar. But you express the view uh, to me, uh, and correct me if I'm mischaracterizing it, but that if we have enough transmission, we can build enough wind, in particular out in the West, where even if the wind dies in a particular region, we can go to a different part where the wind is still robust and balance the grid. Is that accurate? Did I capture that right? Exactly right. I mean, uh, the wind is always blowing somewhere is, um, you know, is, is uh, almost always true. But that's the that's the phenomenon um, that I think grid operators and planners need to, um, you know, start working with um, uh, to be a little bit more accurate about that. If you go uh, like 400 miles away from a typical wind farm, the the uh, output from the wind farm over there is only about 20% correlated with the first one. So, um, you know, when it's going up in one place, it's going down in another. Um, and, you know, when you get solar across different time zones, then you're integrating, you know, power at different times. Um, so I, I think there's a lot we need to do and we need to, need to do it quickly to both operate 
in the day-to-day time frame and plan and invest in the you know multi-year uh, investment time frame uh, for a different set of resources that that fundamentally operate and behave differently from the fleet that we built our electric industry on. Um, the the good news is that some of the institutions we've been working on, like large regional transmission organizations, happen to be perfectly suited for this new resource mix. So it's not like we're starting from, um, you know, with a blank slate. We've made progress in much of the country, uh, but there are a number of things that, that need to need to be done. And uh, FERC and the regional transmission organizations are, are front and center in, in the middle of, the, of that evolution. Well, it's interesting. Uh, you and I met the first time back in 02 when I went to work at FERC and you were Pat Wood's uh, advisor and um, the, there was a, a concerted effort by the commission to put regional transmission organizations throughout the country. And, you know, we do have them particularly in the Northeast, the Midwest. We have one in Texas. And um, but uh, where, where we had a lot of pushback and a lot of politicization of the effort was in the Pacific Northwest and the Southeast. Um, has, have we seen progress in those regions since, uh, since then? A little bit. Uh, it's been slow, and uh, yes, uh, that was those were um, uh, heady times there. When I remember um, that Wood, Nora Brownell, and I and others were um, reading your stories with Dow Jones and Wall Street Journal, and really liked them, and and uh, said, "Boy, we've got a communications challenge on our hand uh, hands here, trying to advocate for competitive markets right after the California energy crisis fiasco." Um, you know, uh, and the Enron uh, cratering didn't help either. Yeah, and all, that was all part of it, and, and, and it was a horrible black eye, and, and it was a terrible situation. Um, so, uh, you know, it was miraculous in hindsight that we got RTOs set up in SPP and MISO, and, and boy, has that been beneficial. I mean, uh, SPP gets up to 70% renewable energy at, at certain times, and wind is the leading source of electricity in that market, even without any kind of state RPSs or anything like that driving uh, policy there. You have the success in SPP, but you also have quite the uh, success story in, in the Texas market as well in terms of wind integration. Absolutely. Well, I, I think Texas is the best market structure for renewable energy. And of course, you and I were both proud to work for Pat Wood, who had set up that market um, before he came over to FERC. And it's still working extremely well. And, and yeah, in the Northwest and the Southeast, there there are, I think, a lot of efforts right now realizing that, you know, they need to move power around. And to move power around geographically, you need uh, you need to remove the, the seams, you need to enable large regional trading, and you need regional infrastructure. And um, I think there are ways to, um, you know, protect certain state roles, you know, no, no uh, regulator loves to give up jurisdiction to another. But, um, you, know, you know, the way we work things out in SPP, we, we preserved and protected a number of things the states wanted to to keep in their domain uh, while, you know, allowing regional infrastructure and operations to occur um, that FERC would help oversee. Yeah, but, but, you know, getting back to the Pacific Northwest in particular, you you said to move power around. A lot of what's driving this is the need to integrate renewable energy. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Well, you you can look at the... um, 
Pacific DC inner tie, you know, built uh, uh, actually 50 years ago and, and uh, at the urging of uh, President Kennedy in the 60s, energized in the 70s. Uh, and you can see on a daily basis, power, you know, surplus solar moves out of California up to the Northwest. And then it, later in the day, the, you know, hydro moves down. I mean, that line was built to sell excess hydro down south but it, it always moves back and forth on kind of a seasonal basis now you got you know the excess of one region's solar um kind of complementing the, the the hydro of the other and that's again how uh, how we should expect a, a clean renewable energy driven grid to operate with that power moving back and forth depending on where the renewables are being produced mm-hmm. yeah well back when uh, uh pat wood and and nora brownell were were, were pushing markets i i still have the coffee cup nora printed up for everybody in uh, the midwest iso it said markets or die and uh, but you know at that point the the leading market uh, was PJM and I, I you know it's still the largest market but it seems to me as an observer that uh, we're, we're definitely at an inflection point there and and it touches on a number of things that we've been talking about here you know renewable energy versus uh, traditional fossil fuel generators who are are feeling particularly aggrieved in the marketplace right now. And then there's a whole tension between the states and the federal government over state subsidies for renewable and how those are treated in the uh, interstate market. I assume that will be something we'll try that, that Rich Glick will try to address uh, pretty quickly. I believe so. And first, I want to say the grid operators across the country do a tremendous job and a very difficult job. And uh, I was proud to work at PJM for a couple of years and just found uh, a whole you know, group of real, real public servants um, uh, working there. And, and that's continued through recent, uh, recent management and current management. Uh, but, you know, there was a a particular conflict that arose across each of the three Northeast uh, RTOs and ISOs uh, with PJM New York and New England, and that was this interaction with state policy. And there are two fundamental different kind of worldviews, honestly, about that. One that um, is held by Rich Glick and was recently um, echoed by new Commissioner Allison Clements, uh, and happens to be one that I share, is that if a, a clean energy source is supported by state policy, they can get the benefit of that state policy and they can also sell any and all electricity products to the RTO, um, uh, including uh, selling capacity into the capacity market. I think the view of the RTOs and the previous FERC um, was that if you get a state subsidy, then you um, you know should not have you know full and equal participation in the capacity market. You have to have a higher bid to reflect the the money you got from that that other source, which uh, I think everybody agrees on both sides that that has a tendency to raise prices. Um, now that you know the details have been through 18 iterations and you know a lot of people say well now it's not a big cost impact because of you know look at how these bid levels have been modified and uh you know i i think that that kind of misses the the larger point that 
that, um, you know, if you agree that uh, state policies were actually intended to uh, bring new resources into the market and, uh, uh, you know, that it's um, consistent with just and reasonable rates for those resources to also participate uh, in the capacity markets and, and uh, energy and ancillary services markets, um, that, you know, they should be able to do so without that that bid increase called, uh, which is called the minimum offer price rule or MOPR or in New York, the uh, buyer side mitigation. So, uh, you know, this, uh, this is evolving. I think the RTOs have already said at NARUC meetings that they don't think MOPR is really sustainable. I think they've been trying to work with states and figure out something else. Um, I, I think the next question now is, um, you know, are the, uh, is there necessarily a need to, do anything other than just, uh, you know, end that broad application of MOPR. I mean, I think you can just uh, end it tomorrow and the markets would work fine. And, and uh, would some conventional generators then, you know, not clear in the market and not get some revenue? Uh, I, I think that's yes and that's fine. I mean, investors make bets all the time in many industries where, you know, and in just about every industry, public policy is a factor. So public policy can come in and change. And whether you're in the healthcare, healthcare or real estate or whatever market you're in, um, and you know, risks are on the investors. That's how markets work. I can hear the screams in many boardrooms right now, but I, I will say that it, it seems to me that we're looking beyond just simply uh, addressing the market rules, but changing the markets entirely to price carbon. I know that's been a discussion at FERC, and uh, and in fact, the the embrace of that by Neil Chatterjee as the former FERC chairman led uh, the Trump administration to uh, to fire him as chairman. They couldn't fire him as a commissioner, but that provoked them enough to fire him as chairman, which was, uh, I think, an unprecedented action uh, in, in the history of FERC. Shouldn't we take that sort of a top-down approach rather than have all the states doing this patchwork? of, of uh, approaches uh, and, you know, doing their pet projects in each state, but do a top down and have carbon priced right into the marketplace? Shouldn't we dispatch according to the, uh, the, the carbon output? Yes. Well, and I think uh, Commissioner Chatterjee has a, has a couple badges of honor, including diversity training as well. Um, on that. So, uh, you know, we like to see independent commissioners do things that, that might annoy, um, political figures. Um, but, uh, and then, you know, yes, I think almost everybody agrees that a more efficient way to go for the power sector, um, would be to have a carbon price. Um, and, uh, and even for it to be economy wide, um, uh, to lead to efficient, you know, operations decisions day to day, planning decisions over time. Um, so we'd all love to see that. Um, you know, that probably requires action by Congress. Uh, it's a little early to say whether the, you know, the amount of co cooperation you would need to get um, uh, 60 votes in the Senate to do something like that is, is unclear. 
Um, within just the, the FERC world, whether FERC can do that on its own, I think it probably can under its uh, 206 authority. It's obviously a much lower hurdle and easier under its 205 authority to accept something that comes from a region. Um, and, uh, you know, one way actually you might see that, you know, that's been sort of stalled out. People thought we might see a proposal from New York, uh, but New York, even with, uh, you know, the current administration there didn't jump on the opportunity to actually set the carbon price. Um, but we, you, you could see some interesting interactions going forward uh, with EPA policy. Um, the courts just handed back to EPA a, a golden opportunity to move forward some type of new clean power plan um, that could lead to various state imp implementation uh, plans and that could potentially lead to, um, you know, implementation or facilitation through regional power markets and RTOs with FERC, you know, providing a kind of an enabling facilitation role. So uh, we could see some interesting things in that as, uh, uh, you know, having my primary training be in economics and, you know, my first uh, paper I ever wrote ever wrote was on carbon pricing back in 1992. Um, you know, I'd love to see policies turn into a carbon price and, and be efficient in that way. Uh, but that said, uh, I know how hard that is politically. Um, and I also think, you know, a livable planet is more important than necessarily the most efficient and elegant, you know, electricity policy. So, you know, states will, um, proceed to have clean energy policies, and I, I think they, they should. Um, and I also think under the Federal Power Act, they're allowed to, and FERC has to respect those. So, I, you know, we still could be looking at um, different uh, different valuations of environmental attributes from different states, um, which, you know, might be not be the ideal um, structure, but it is what it is. Well, so should we be taking a moderate uh, approach, you know, turning the steamship by degrees, or should we tear everything up and, and rewrite the whole structure? Should we have a bifurcated uh, regulatory structure in which the retail markets are regulated by the states and the uh, wholesale markets regulated by FERC? Well, I, I think Congress could consider a reform of the Federal Power Act to make everything work better. Um, I have a hard time seeing that really coming together. Um, maybe that's a conversation for, you know, six or 12 months down the road if, if um, you know, a lot more cooperation opens up, um, bipartisan cooperation in the Senate in particular. Um, so in the here and now, I think we're in a world where we have the authorities we have. I think FERC has a lot of authority to do more and better uh, you know, regional market operation and, um, and regional and interregional transmission planning. Uh, and I think they can do all of that while respecting state roles. So, um, I, you know, I, I see a lot of indications from uh, Chairman Glick and commission, new Commissioner Clements that they want to work with states. Uh, new Commissioner Christie obviously has had a long history working out uh, you know, state and uh, regional 
market uh, responsibilities. So I, I expect to see a, a lot of activity in that area to kind of work out compatible state and, and federal electricity policy. Well, you, you mentioned that FERC has a lot of authority, and, that, and that's pretty true. I know that when uh, the, the commission did orders 888 and 889, those orders were challenged all the way to the Supreme Court. And one of the arguments that was advanced by Enron was FERC's jurisdiction over bundled transmission. And the court said that uh, FERC had the jurisdiction over bundled transmission should it choose to exercise it. And I think other than uh, SMD, that's it's been kind of a, 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 a third rail. Uh, no one's willing to touch it. Do you, do you think we need to go there? Well, that's interesting. Yeah, standard market design, SMD, that you and I worked on 20 years ago, um, you know, kind of during the firestorm and blowback after Enron and California uh, led to difficulties advancing the competitive agenda. Um, you know, uh that that is um that that should be considered let me put it that way um i honestly haven't thought a lot about it um i do think a lot about building up regional market trading through rtos um and i think you know again there's more FERC can do there uh and there's a lot more FERC can do on regional transmission planning and institutions and cost allocation that goes with that um, and of course, we've seen um, evolution and expansion of uh, authorities related to demand response, and now with Order 2222, um, distributed resources participating in, in wholesale markets. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see more um, expansion, you know, in that direction, because the the reality is these are uh, integrated machines that that go all the way down to. Uh, retail levels, and the reality is also that there are a lot of supply resources and um, participating demand resources at the demand side that are actively involved and, um, uh, you know, can efficiently be part of the, the bulk power system. So I, I do think um, these uh, interactions will, will increase, and that will lead to, you know, more importance of the wholesale markets under FERC jurisdiction. Okay, well, that is about it. We're going to wrap things up here. I just thought I'd give you one last chance uh, to reflect on anything that we haven't brought up so far. Well, not really. It is a really interesting time, and uh, there have been so many dramatic changes and things going on in Washington. We're still fresh off of the, you know, the, the riots in the Capitol. So I think everybody's heads are, are spinning and it will take a little while for the dust to settle and to um, reset a new, you know, legislative agenda as we see President Biden put in place uh, a lot of um, executive actions that they can take on their own. Um, so really there's a, a lot of opportunity for significant change if um you know bipartisan cooperation actually um comes together here but i, I think it's it's kind of too soon there's uh, <laughs> there's just um uh you know so much uh, bigger so many bigger issues that, that kind of need to get resolved before our little corner of the world and electricity policy um you know gets gets brought in for uh, for review it is an interesting time we live in. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it very much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Great.
Great. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with another conversation about energy markets and the environment. I'm your host, Brian Lee, and this has been the Energy Markets Podcast.